Good morning, Grinders. Uh, welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me there on Twitter, and it's Thursday, trade deadline day for the NBA. We got seven games coming up. Seven, one, right? Yeah, seven, seven games tonight. Who knows who's on what team, right? Uh, is Harden going to get traded? We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen tonight. It could be silly season. Could be total silliness tonight. Uh, so, so going over today's slate, and I don't, I don't know. When's the trade done? It's at it's it's in the afternoon, right? Three p.m., five p.m., something, something, something like that. Uh, and just because the deadline is at that time, sometimes trades get announced like slightly after that. Also, like it got it got done by then, but it doesn't get announced until like an hour later or something. So who knows what's going to happen today? Who knows what's going to happen today, but today I will, we'll talk about DFS strategy. You've got questions. I got answers. So if you're in the YouTube chat, you, I, I'm, I'm leaning heavily on you today. Okay. It's going to be a very short show without any uh, YouTube chatter. So give me those thumbs ups in the chat, right? Give me in the YouTube chat, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs to the side, subscribe buttons, notification bells, do whatever you want in there. Good morning. Infamous talk in here, uh, in here before Suki Singh. Okay. Getting the first good morning, Matt Mears, kickstart, kid cat, click kit, cloud kicker. I, I get a K, K, we just call it, call you K, KCK. KCK, is that good or just the kicker, the cloud kicker, right? Morning, everyone. Saying he's running only one or two lineups a night. He's waiting for NBA to get back to normal. Okay, that's fine. Uh, yeah, the late swaps are getting vicious. I, I didn't play NBA last night. I, I played soccer yesterday, made some money in soccer. Would have made a lot more money if Foden scored and not Mares on the penalty kick, but still made a decent, decent chunk of change in uh, in the Premier League soccer, uh, which there'll be another slate Saturday morning. If you, if you guys want to play, if you guys want to play EPL or Champions League or any DFS soccer, you can always ask, you can always ask me anything you want about that. I mean, that's like that's like the only that's that's pretty much the only sport that I have no problem. Uh, playing any any new any newcomer for essentially probably I could I'll probably play thousand dollar head tags maybe five thirties like I have no problem with that like just feel free if you want to play if you want to play me in DFS soccer good, good luck to you okay because the likelihood of you 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 having a, a more a better than a forty percent win rate against me is going to be very very tough uh, so yeah so if, if you want to talk DFS soccer I could do that all the time but most most people most people don't they ah soccer boring. It's like great DFS, great, great DFS. Two hours. Typically, all the games are on at the same time. Like yesterday, four games, almost at the same time. It's 245, 245, 245, three. So there's like a 15-minute gap, but pretty much. And then you're done. That's it. And, and a goal could change the leaderboard like no tomorrow. So, uh, so yeah. So if you want to decide, there's a two-game slate this afternoon if you want to play. Two-game slates, not a, not a big fan of, right? I almost rather play the showdown soccer than the two game slates, but I mean, I prefer the larger, uh, at least a four game, three game soccer slates are, eh, are eh. I like four, five, six. I mean, eight to me, eight is perfect. That's that's considered a large one. But, uh, if you, if you want to talk any, if you want to talk DFS soccer, I can teach you how to play that. But, uh, because we got this NBA trading deadline and yesterday I didn't even play. So I, I mean, what happened yesterday? It seemed like, if you were 150 maxer, you did very well. I mean, pretty much aligned with projections, right? With the, all the all the Hornets guys. So I saw what was going on. Like the Hornets only had like seven live bodies or something, right? You got the Kings, 
right? Without without Halliburton there, right? And you needed D'Angelo Russell, apparently, right? He scored 55 points. So if you played a bunch of the Hornets and then D'Angelo Russell, Talon Horton Tucker, uh, right? Didn't like LeBron sit or something or Westbrook? So one of, the, one of, them, one of them sat. And then like Poku came out of nowhere, right? Whiteside did, uh, well, Whiteside did well. And uh, Pokashevsky apparently now now plays a lot of minutes now, right? 38, 38 points for 3,600. So like if you, if you played some combination of that, right? If we looked at compare exposures, right? Yeah, people just, just jam, jam the chalk, jam the chalk. Winslow, Oubre, Winslow, Ball, P.J. Washington, right? Terry Rogier, other than petty theft, petty theft. Went light on Rozier and Washington. Still played a ton of Ubre and Ball. Right? We go through here. Oh, LeBron. Okay, LeBron obviously played. Didn't someone sit? Did Westbrook sit? I thought I saw one. One of the Lakers sat. Obviously, obviously wasn't LeBron. He scored fifty three points. Filtered by team. Okay, so it was Westbrook. So THT wasn't like a like a you know core you know value or anything like that, but he ended up being eight percent owned. I mean, it's not. I don't know what what I could learn from yesterday. I didn't. I, didn't, I wasn't making lines. I just look around. It's like ah, oh, it looks like uh, looks like if you pretty much smash projections, and he had like a two v two or something for lower owned stuff, you you probably did fine. You probably did pretty good. Right, Jamie says, I don't think I've seen anyone dominate as much as Chetabis did last night. Well, t- the reason for that, well, number one, n- number one, good, good NBA DFS player. I mean, th- that's beside the point. But Chetabis plays a very condensed, high variance, like player pool. Right. He very similar to Petty, Petty Theft does also. Uh, Royal Pain, sometimes, a lot of the times, does also. Like, see, like Royal Pain over here. Like, it just basically, like, Plays like like six six to eight players, like fifty plus percent in lineups, and then sprinkles like everyone else from there. So very condensed at the top. So whenever you're very condensed like that, with like you know core of six to eight players, like if those players do extremely well, it's like you're gonna have a ton of lineups wherever you place. Your 150 lineups are gonna be very bunched up together. And obviously, if that's at the top, that could be first, second, fifth, sixth, tenth, eleventh. All those spots up there, but obviously on days where you know if if some of these guys didn't do well, you you wouldn't even cash a single lineup out of 150. So it's a byproduct of diversification. If Cheddar Bisque was more diversified, he still would have won, but not come in like in like seven of the top ten spots. But understand, it's like for all for the time for the one time that that happens towards the top, there's like 20 other times that. All those lineups are bunched at the bottom. And, you know, you put in what? It's a $15 entry times 150. It's 2250. And you get back zero. Okay. So just understand that. There's no, there's no strategy behind that. It's just a diversification method. Do you want to be more diverse or less diverse? Do you want to be, have, take out, have a higher risk profile or a lower risk profile? And you have guys more like whistles, more like, I mean, in general. Across the board, there are more sharper players that have a little bit more of a diverse set of lineups. They're still good lineups, regardless which which whatever way it is. It's not a strategic thing. Like exposures are in strategy. They just represent how what types of lineups you have in your portfolio. But there could be thousands of plus EV lineups. 
And you could you could choose to play a diverse set of a lot of them, different types. Or like, I'm just going to play one type of stuff, like one type of thing. And I'm going to play all of the, all my, all the, all the, the PJ Washington lineups that are plus EV and just be a hundred percent of PJ Washington. And if he sucks, then all your lineups dead. If he does great, you have a ton of lineups that could win first place. But there are other lineups that are plus EV also. Uh, let's see. Uh, Kickstart says did, uh, did pretty good yesterday, but $90 came out with 390. That's pretty good. Tickets and cash. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep on getting Kickstart and Kit Cloud Kicker confused. You got can you get together and change your YouTube names? Oh, uh, let's see. Mike Talbot, I'm finding the only way through madness is aggressive game stacking. Does this tend to work over time? No. The core the correlation the the correlation between the games is not is not high enough in the NBA. The only thing is that both sides of a game have some correlation to each other. Not strong, but think, think, uh, you know, common sense. The game goes over, right? It's a 220 game total. It, it ends up being 260, which obviously means there's more fantasy points available. The game stays close, which means the guys that normally get the minutes get the maximum amount of minutes. Obviously, if it goes to overtime, you get an extra five minutes. So if the game stays close and the, so the minutes and the spread of the game tend, tend to be correlated to each other. So who did the, who did the, the Hornets play last yesterday? I don't even know who did they play yesterday? NBA scores. Let's see. The bulls. Okay. So if you had, if you had a choice, if you were playing like three Hornets or something in your lineup, like if you play like Kobe White on the other side, like versus playing another like five thousand type of player, like we had the choice between like like uh, someone at their his price range. I don't know. I'm just looking through. Where 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 did you get anyone? Kobe White or Jordan Poole or something. It's like if they were projected similarly or whatever, I'd much rather if I'm playing three Hornets in my lineup to play Kobe White in that lineup. And in a lineup that I'm only playing like one Hornet, then who cares about playing a bull? I mean, I did that the other day with Trey Young, right? Against the Pacers. It's like Trey Young projected well, right? He projected well. And the Pacers were playing with like eight guys. So I was playing like at least two Pacers in every lineup. So I wanted to make sure that by default, like if I have three Pacers in my lineup, if I had a choice between all these 9K, 10K type of studs in my lineup, that if I have three or four Pacers in my lineup, just pick Trey Young because he's on the other side of the game. All right, so if all these Pacers do well, most probably Trey Young is more likely to do well by a small margin. So it's more, almost like a tiebreaker, but it's not something that I just like aggressively do. The smaller the slate, the more likely, you know, if you have three games, it's like more, it's more likely you have less opportunity cost to just stack one game, essentially, depending on the prices, obviously, and hope that the other two games blow out or something, go under. With three games on a slate, you could do that. Ten game slate, there's too much opportunity cost. 
that he's going to play multiple guys from the same game and hope to get ceiling results from all of them from both sides of the same game. There's just, there's, there's, there's 20 teams to choose from. There's going to be someone from some other game that gets a 10 X score, another one from another game that gets a 10 X score. So the opportunity cost is very high. On a short slate, two, three game slate game, game stacking. There's less options. I mean, you're going to, that's, you're going to have to game stack at something because it's only three games anyway. But I wouldn't be thinking that that wouldn't be the top of the priority list as far as, I mean, anywhere close to it. As opposed to like baseball, where that is the top of it. I mean, not game stacking, but like team stacking. When you play MLB, you start from what teams am I going to stack? Not, oh, well, if it happens, if I happen to have three or four guys from the same team, oh, so, no, that's a plus. It's like, no, you start from that. NBA, you don't. It's The, the correlations are too weak for, for that to be the, the starting point of your lineup construction. <sighs> MJ says, MJC says minutes and high scoring games, obviously, though seeing more and more winning lineups with a few pieces from each side. But also, we're, we're, we're in the past week, we've gotten value open up like there's no tomorrow. When, when, when pricing is much more efficient, you're not going to see that as much. Right? It's very like the other day. It was very easy to play Giannis and, and LeBron in the same line. Right? There were like eight, three to four K players to play that had eight X meetings. So, yeah, it's easy. It's easy to do that then. Right? Yeah. But when, when it's more efficient pricing. Right. If we look at today's slate, I, as if nothing's going to happen today, which obviously stuff's going to happen today. Like the pricing is fairly efficient. Right. When I when I when I look at the salary adjusted plus minus, which is what our RGB column is. And I see that the highest numbers are guys that are like 7K and above. That means I know that the, the slate is, is efficiently priced. Right. When you, Alec Burks is the top like value as of right now. At 4,800, this is much more efficiently priced. Slate. So it's going to be hard to find like could, could clear cut value, which also means that, you know, if the ownership gets, gets condensed in certain places, it probably shouldn't. Like if, if, if Alec Burks end up, ends up being what we, we have him right now. Does that I mean this is all the 4 a.m. algorithmic projections with no manual updates? Like if he's going to be forty percent owned, just because he has like the what almost a, like a three point higher projection, like the, he's over owned. Because there's like so many other players that he could play that have a that are have a difference between him and that that player by a three point shot. That's how you have to kind of think of it. It's like oh yeah, well he projects so much better. Well, what's so much better? What's so much if we go, look, like he's what, point guard, small forward? Let's go to what, what what point guard, small forwards at around his price range, right? All right, if we go look at Alec Burks, where is he? 4,800. So the difference between him and Cameron Thomas by projection is about three and a half points. Okay, that's a three-point shot on, on DK, right? Because you get the little half-point bonus. Right, the difference between him and Jalen Green is five points. So a three-pointer and a rebound or something, or an assist. Like that's it. 
One guy may be 40% owned, the other guy may be 5% owned. Should that be happening on, an, on a more efficiently priced slate? No. Now, if the difference between Burks and Jalen Green was 10 points, 12 points, well, then that's a different story. And now you got, you got to make up a lot more. So on slates where, you know, like, oh, Patty Mills, oh, he's, he looks like he projects well. He's what? Not pretty much efficiently priced. Just that there are a lot of players in the slate that are, that are overpriced. So what's the difference between Patty Mills and Jalen Green? Three points, three, just three points. And we currently have one, one guy at 25% owned and one guy at 8% owned. The difference is three points. Two assists. One three-pointer. A two-pointer and a rebound. I mean, like, right, you take you take Patty Mills down a minute, right? And you take Jalen Green, you up him a minute, right? You do something like that. And the, the projection difference is one is one and a half is a rebound, is an assist. So if you're off by one minute, plus or minus, both players are almost the same are nearly the same. So that's how that's how marginal they are. So when you see, when you sort by RGV and you go, it's like, oh, these, these are the best plays. Like by how much? By how much are they the best plays? The other day, the other day with the Pacers and the Blazers, Lance Stevenson had that 12-point salary adjusted plus. Like he's way better than anyone else at his price. Like just jam him in, right? He's going to get there eighty percent of the time. Don't even don't even bother comparing him to someone else. You're giving up fifteen points in projection. That's a different story. When when we're seeing numbers where it's like, oh, it's like Kevin Porter Jr. projects well, right? No, he projects slightly above efficiently. <laughs> slightly, he's slightly underpriced. So at the six K range, at what? But it was the point guard. We go down there, right? We go 6K point guard. Like, what's the difference between Porter and uh, Reggie Jackson? Two points. That's it. That's all it is, two points. Yeah, you may you may see it's like, oh, well, I, I'm going to play a lot of Kevin Porter Jr. I got to play, and then no one talks about Reggie Jackson. Is Kevin Porter Jr., based on projections, a better better play? And Reggie Jackson, based on Kevin Porter, is, is he better play? I guess so. But by how much? That That's the key. By how much? Kevin Porter's 25% and Reggie Jackson's 2%. That's the, it's way, way, he's, Porter's way over owned. And Reggie Jackson's way under owned. The delta between them shouldn't be that, that dramatic for a two-point different in projection. Let's say Kevin Porter only plays 32 instead of 31, and Reggie Jackson plays 30 instead of 29, right? Next thing you know, the difference in projection is three quarters of a point. So one minute, one minute on the court on average, plus, plus and minus for both players, could make them almost equally projected, meeting wise. Yet one may be three times his own, four times his own. See what those margins are. Like there's a difference between the best plays just that in comparison to others. 
but by how much? That's how you should be thinking. Yes, they project the best on this in comparison to the slate, but by how much? And is that by how much worth the ownership gap between them? Then now you're creating an eight-man lineup with, you know, a combination of all of that. So on slates where the gap between players, they're more efficiently priced, typically the ownership gets more inefficient on a lot of players because people gravitate towards certain ones that are one point higher. So I like those types of slates. And then you have slates where everyone's out and some guy's going to be playing 38 minutes at 3,500 and project for 28 points as a median. It's just like, you're not going to find, you're not going to find anyone of that value other on this slate. The difference between them and the next person is going to be 12 to 15 points. So just, just play them. <laughs> at that point, there's, 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 the Delta has to be extremely wide. It should be. Jamie asks, uh, when you're looking at the slate, do you say X players should be Y percent owned if ownership was efficient? Or is it more of a general idea? I'm a lot more general. I'm not like, it's like I, don't, I don't do things exactly. I do things, I don't care about being precise. I care about being directionally accurate. So I'll look at a player. I'll look at the context of a slate and go, I believe this player based on all of this you know, is going to be X percent owned. And I believe his efficient ownership is, is X. Is either, he's either over-owned or under-owned. By how much? And by how much? The more over-owned they are, the less likely I'm, I'm having them in lineups. And the more under-owned they are, the more likely I have them in lineups. But I don't know what the ownership is going to come. I mean, I mean, that's why it's 11 o'clock in the morning. I have no idea. That's why I don't even bother. Until five till five thirty p.m. injury report. I, I do not care about the NBA slate. I may look around the industry. I may list, I may be listening to some stuff like it's talk radio. I'm not listening intently and going. Where does it seem? Where does it seem like the field is going to be uh, hooked on a little bit more? Then I'm able to look through ownership projections around the industry and, and projections and go. Okay, we project this guy high. That's this place projects them higher. I heard I saw the name in two articles or something like that. It's like we have our our projected ownership is 28 percent. I go, I don't think he's, he's going to be more like 38 percent, not not 28. And if he's going to be 38 percent on, that means some other players I have to bump down their ownership. So I do all of that and then look and I go, should these players be owned at the rates that they're owned? Like the other day, we had Gordon Hayward as chalk, right? He got injured. I had him as one of the most over owned players on the slate. Like I had him at like, like he was, I had him projected at like 38% ownership. And I'm like, I think his efficient ownership is like maybe, maybe 22, maybe something like that. Like not bad. Like he's like, oh, he shouldn't be owned at all. No, well, he wasn't a, he wasn't, he wasn't poorly projected or anything like that. Just that he was, he wasn't a smash mouth type of type. Of, he didn't. Yeah. Great. Three, three, salary adjusted plus minus three. But on a slate that already had like six other guys in that range anyway. So it's not like, why am I, why, why, why do I need to jam in Gordon Hayward? I got plenty of options. I can take him out of my lineup and still, I could have a, I could take him out of my lineup 
and make a lineup that is actually higher projected for lower owners. So why am I playing? So I only ended up in like eight of my lines. That's what it comes down to. Can you get a better projected lineup for lower ownership without that player? And if you can, then why the hell are you playing that player? Sometimes you can see this just by running lineups. You don't even have to go like, is he over-owned? Is he under-owned? Is he whatever? Once you do this so often, once you have experience doing this, I mean, I've been playing NBA DFS for what? Four years? Four and a half years or something? Just get used to it. You do it every day. So I can just look at numbers and go like, yeah, if I ran 300 lineups and this guy's going to come in way more, that guy's going to come in way less. Should he be this owned? Should he be that owned? It becomes instinctual almost. And you start building lineups. How do I determine what the ownership should be? I just guess. I'm just being blunt. Don't worry about being precise. Okay? You know how you would do it if you were being precise? You'd build your own algorithm and and build simulations and run them on your computers all day. Can you do that? No. Okay? So then, then your goal is to not be precise. So you're not going to be able to be as precise as you building programs in order to do that. Okay? So the key then is to be directionally accurate. Because you're going to spend way too much time trying to be precise. Okay? If you try to be, it's like, what formula can I, because you're not, but you're not going to be, you're not going to be as precise as anyone that's running, running since. You're not. It's not going to happen. Okay, so once you accept that, then you shouldn't care about being precise. You should be caring about being as accurate as possible in the least amount of time. That's what you should be. Because you could spend you could spend six hours calculating, and obviously in NBA, NBA DFS, you know, this guy's in, this guy's out, and everything changes. So remember, at like 6.30, a half an hour before lock, two guys could be out, and everything changes. Right. Well, now that this guy's out, now these three players, their projection goes up and that that now affects ownership. Right. So now ownership uh, for every player, James. Right. Projections change for a bunch of players. Ownership changes for a bunch of players. And you got 20 minutes to make your lines. So what are are you going to do? Are you going to try to be precise? You don't have time to be precise. You do have time to be directionally accurate. And go now that we have this news. How does that, how is that going to affect ownership? Well, one site says that she's going to be 55% owner. I say, okay, I don't think so. I think more like, more like, more like 45. Then he comes in at 48% ownership. It's like, okay, I was directionally right. That's all I'm trying to be. Because even, even, even the people that, that run Sims and everything have a problem with late news and NBA. You just can't, you just don't have time to run anything. A half an hour, 20 minutes before lock. You just you just don't have time. Maybe you have a little bit more time in other sports, but not in NBA. So if you're not, if it don't try to be precise because you're not, you're not gonna beat unless unless you're building your own program. So well then why why are you talking to me? Then you don't need me anymore. But if you're not going to, trying to be precise is a is a is a lost cause. 
You're more likely you're more likely to be wrong and not even directly accurate by trying to be precise. And you're going to spend way too much time doing it. Right. Alex Santi says precision is a fool's errand. Right. At a poker table, I mean, like. My main strength is, is reading other players, not physically like tells, but narrowing hand ranges and, and figuring out betting patterns. And we'd get to the end and I would be like, look at the pot size and everything. And somebody bets 50 bucks at the end. And I have to determine based on all of his past actions and everything that's gone on this hand, what hands he could have for the probabilities of so, you know, the probabilities of those hands. How often does he bluff in these in, for this progression and then come up with odds, right? There's $200 in the pot and they bet 50 bucks. So I'm getting paid five to one, right? So is he, if I, if I can only beat a bluff, I have to think in my head, does he bluff more than 20% of the time here? Does he bluff more than, than 17% of the time here? If I think he bluffs more than 50 to 20% of the time, then I call with my bluff catch. How do you precisely determine he's going to bluff? There's no, there's no precise way to do it in live poker. Maybe, maybe if you're playing online and you have a very large sample size on the person and you run solvers and everything, yeah, maybe you could be a little bit more precise. In live poker, you can't be. You just have to ballpark it. And, and am I, is there really $200 in the pot? Maybe there's 210, maybe there's 190. It's around 200 bucks. But am I going to what? I'm going to spend time counting the chips, right? Let me see, uh, dealer, can, can you count the pot? Let's wait, let's wait here for, for two minutes and hold up the entire game while I count the pot. How much does the pot have? $204, oh, thank you. Now, now I could call $50, but if it was 196, I'd fold like that. That's stupid. You don't have to be that precise. And if you're playing it, and if you're playing in a good poker game, you don't want to waste two minutes counting the puck. You want more hands, right? More opportunities to make money. So the same thing in DFS. Like, how do you determine? You, you guesstimate. Uh, but like I said, run lineups, run 300 lineups at a time. That, that Gordon Hayward situation from the other day, if you ran 300 lineups with our projections, even even and, and adjusted ownership for whatever you thought the ownership was going to be, you'd see that you would like, oh, I'm not even, I'm not getting much of Hayward. And if you ran Hayward lineups and then ran lineups without Hayward, you would see that the ownership sum or product of your lineups without Hayward was lower, obviously, because he was chalked. He was like the highest owned player. But the lineups without Hayward actually hot projected higher. I'm like, why the hell am I playing Hayward? Why would I why would I play want to play a chalkier lineup that projects a point lower? I don't. So I get less of them. How much what is his efficient ownership? I don't know. But I know it's not 40%. How much lower should it be? Now, if I started getting him in like zero, ran 300 lineups, I got him in zero, which means his projection would have probably been like five or six points lower than the industry. 
which it wasn't, but let's say it was, then I could say that what maybe his efficient ownership is like 6%, 4% or something, some, some single digit, low single digit, and he's going to be 40% owned. Like that's the holy grail. Most likely when you get to that point, it's most likely your projections are off. That a guy's going to be 40% owned that should be 4% owned. Most likely you're under projecting something. But the more that it, in 300 lineups, if he appears in 10% of them, maybe, maybe his efficient ownership is 16 to 18%, maybe. Depending on the position, because obviously you have to compare to what other positions are available, right? Maybe there's not many small forwards worth playing. And that's why kind of the ownership is moving up. There's like one guy, there's two or three guys, and then it just falls off a cliff. Now I can understand why the why the ownership is higher, even though the projection in comparison to other players at the at his price range at other positions is is not is, is not anything to write home about. But you still have to play a small forward, so small forwards have to be rostered. But then you may have another position, you may have center, and there's like oh, there's five cheap centers. It's like yeah, well now the efficient ownership of centers that don't project well should be very low because the opportunity cost is very high because there's so many good projected players at that position at a very weak position guys that project one or two points higher than other people are going to be worth even more because there's not much to choose so i understand why the ownership would go up maybe that's why hayward would be efficiently 16 to 18 percent but he's going to be 40 percent what is that number? I don't know. Nerdy Tenor would probably be able to tell you. Right. If Daniel Hutchins was here. Right. He play, he does he plays the opposite of me. He plays the balance strategy. What he's trying to do is actually trying to find the efficient ownership and then just play those guys at those rates. Me, I'm trying to figure out what the efficient ownership and then play lineups that exploit that ownership. But as Daniel would say, he doesn't even know. He just runs his program. He can't tell you why. The thing is, is that if you take a look at his lineups, you can take a look at my lineups, and most of the time, they look quite quite similar for the contest that we play, or similar enough. So will, will Nerdy Tenor's lineups be more precise? Most probably. Will my lineups be at, close enough to his for not having a program that does it for me and estimating it based on, you know, the game theory concepts. Yeah, it's good enough. It's close enough. It's close enough to be profitable. Right. So that, so don't worry so much about being precise. Jamie says, I just actually started running simulations yesterday just to study what efficient ownership actually looks like. So I could build up intuition. Okay. You also have to realize if you go through results DB, a lot of these players that you're you're studying are using that methodology, right? It's like Brick seventy five. He he didn't. He's running his projection model, running his simulations, and then spitting out lineups, right? The Colts, same thing. Chipotle, same thing. Whistles. I mean, whistles obviously. 
they're pretty much running running simulations and everything. So that's why, like, did your play, did your lineups come close to a lot of these sharper players' lineups? Right. That's why it's a signal of like, oh, no matter if you won or lost on that day, did you build good plus EV lineups? Well, if you look across the board of all these players, these are all highly profitable NBA DFS players. So if your lineups look very similar to their lineups, most probably you were making good lineups, most probably. If, if your lineups look nothing like all of these players' lineups, or most of them, then you probably didn't play well, even if you won. Is it a, is it, is it a precise way of, reserving, of, of, of reviewing your play? No, of course not. Directionally accurate, yes. Right, that's what I teach. This, I'm, I'm not, this is not a computer programming class. I don't teach computer programming. I teach game theory concepts and intuitive gameplay for a, a normal person, a person without computer programming skills, to build plus EV lineups. Use utilizing game theory. I mean, everything is utilizing it. Doesn't everything is game theory? There's no like, well, I'm utilizing game theory and you're not, and like, everyone does. Just what methodology do you get to that point? My methodology is not through computer simulations. I could build computer simulations. I'm just not good at it. I would, I'm a beginner at that type of stuff. My, my computer programming, if you want to call it that experience, is more on front-end web design and web development. So it's like, yes, yes, I, 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 I can make your website look nice, give you some nice JavaScript functionality, right? I could integrate with the, I could, I could do some MySQL stuff, right? Do some of that, pull from a database and display on the screen, right? I could do stuff like that, stylize it great with CSS, make nice forms and everything. I could do all of that. But running simulations like, you know, Py, like, Python and stuff like that. I, I no use. Why am I using Python? Right. I'm using, you know, PHP, you know, PHP, you know, the, the, the lamp stack or MAMP or whatever, AAMP stack, Apache, MySQL, PHP, like that type of stuff. I ain't, I ain't building simulation. I don't, I don't do any of that type of program. I could learn it. Yes. And I could do some stuff in Excel. But my attitude is that the, the amount of time it would take me to build anything that was as good as some of these players, I'm not sure if I could even get to that point. And if I can, it would take me years. So is my directionally accurate way of doing it good enough? And based on my results and all the signals, it's good enough. So there. And if, I, if it's at the point where I need to I need to build stuff like that, probably the game's too hard to beat. Uh, DJ Dog says, I like how digestible you made this game for me. Thank you for the advice. This is solid. Oh, you're welcome. Looks like Marvin Bagley is going to the Pistons. As of right now, Shams is reporting. We're going to get tons of this throughout the day. So why, why, why bother going over a slate for today that knows who's playing today? Kit Cloud Kicker, does DB have FanDuel exposure? No, FanDuel does not provide publicly downloadable CSVs for their contests. 
So there's no results DB for FanDuel, only DraftKings. Jupacalypse says, isn't it possible to have very similar ownership exposures, even exact ownership exposures, and have absurdly different lineups? Well, I don't know. Different, yes. Absurdly different, probably not. Right? It's not going to, can't be absurdly different. Right? If you, oh, uh, if I, if I have 49% Oubre and 79% Winslow and 66% Ball, like, I'm going to have a lot of lineups with all them together. I mean, like, if I put in, like, try doing it. Put in the actual exposures into the yesterday's lineup HQ for some of these people. And set it on default. Like, one unique, you know, just, like, keep it open. You will get that you will you you make you may not get that many dupes of their actual lineups, right? So that you look at their actual lineups and look at what you created. Maybe you end up with a couple of dupes. But you'll get lineups that are one v ones of theirs, two v twos at best. Depends on how condensed their 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 pool is. On a 10 game slate with like no one higher exposed than 25%, yeah, it could be very hard to get very similar lineups. The Clippers are trading Serge Ibaka to the Bucks. It's going to be all day. Is there a point of me even talking about some of this? I don't even think some of this even matters. Dante DiVincenzo is traded to the Kings. Okay. What does that do? I have no idea. Okay. So, uh, so yeah. So there, there's uh, what, what, answer some questions in the chat. I did. I, I think that would have been pretty productive today, right? Got the trade deadline, NBA trading deadline. Who knows what's going to happen? So far, these trades are not, I don't know. They're going to make that much of a difference on this slate. Sacramento isn't on this slate, so that's not going to matter. The Clippers, does Ibaka matter that much? And the Clippers, maybe not. But Hartenstein, Zubac is healthy, right? Right. Yes, Zubac is still there. But then you got Hartenstein. Oh, well, we already have a Baca out in our projections. So I don't think it's going to matter at all. Yeah, some of the stuff may say, yeah, some of this stuff is not going to matter. But maybe some of the stuff will. We've got to see. Any of the big people, any of the big guys. Let's see where Hard, what happens with Harden. Let's see, is he going to stay with the Nets? Go to the, go to the Sixers? Is Ben Simmons going to play this year at some point? Who knows? We'll find out. But give me those thumbs ups on your way out the door. Hit the subscribe button if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. We got Grinders live later today. I believe it's 4:45 p.m. now. I believe uh, that we do it a little bit early. 4:45 p.m. or five. You'll see it on the thumbnail, right? You're on YouTube. You'll see it, right? And then we got crunch time after that for premium members. You want to sign up for a premium membership? You want to get lineup HQ? You want to get the projections, the ownership? You want to get the the premium Discord? You want to get the premium content, Andy's articles, and all, all that type of stuff behind the paywall. Go click on the link in the description. Get $10 off your first month. See, Pistons are trading Josh Jackson and Trey Lyles to Sacramento. Detroit's on the slate. Okay, so maybe maybe we got some Detroit value today. We'll see. That's why you got to tune in later. So hit that notification bell, and I'll, I'll be with you tomorrow, right? Answering your DFS strategy questions, as always, on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.